shows us that true hope is putting our trust in a person, Jesus. God promises great things for his people. God reveals himself through his promises. Through his promises, he shows something about himself, his character, and who we are in him and how we are to live. So where hope and other things fall short, we find true hope in the power of the promises of God. So I want us to look at a couple things this morning in light of the power of God's promises. And the first thing I want us to see is this, is that through God's promises, he reveals his character and purpose. Verse 13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. And later down in verse 18, he says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What I want us to see here is that when God makes a promise, he is revealing something about his character and his purpose. He shows us something about who he is and what he is like and what he's up to in the world. Also in your personal life, in your marriage and family, but also kind of the grand scheme of the story of redemption that he's up to, that we read about from Genesis all the way to Revelation and what we experience in our lives. Have you ever had someone break a promise to you? I mean, it could be something, you know, cosmic and serious. Maybe somebody promises something to you and they take it away. It could be something even smaller where they say, hey, I promise I'm going to give you this awesome mixtape. And they just don't deliver. And you're like, all right. It reveals something about the nature of that person. They could be flaky or forgetful. They could be harmful, hurtful, selfish. One of the greatest examples of this, um, you know, a great show I grew up on. Some of you know what I'm talking about. is Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You know the show? Great show, right? And you know, recently, just a couple of weeks ago, Uncle Phil passed away. Uh, the actor James Avery. And great actor, by the way. And um, one of the greatest episodes of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I'll probably get choked up if I talk about it. I think it was Will Smith's acting at his best. Because he's hilarious and fun. But there's one episode where his uh, father emerges on the scene after having been gone for years. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you know the story, Will Smith's character, uh, you know, he was born where? And raised in West Philadelphia, uh, but ends up moving with his aunt and uncle in Bel Air, right? And so he is living with his aunt and uncle. And then one day out of the blue, his father kind of uh, reemerges on the scene. And so the whole story of this particular episode is, uh, Will wanting to reconnect with his father and his father, you know, saying, look, I would love for you to just travel with me for a little bit. He makes a promise to say, pack your things, son. We're going to go travel a little bit together. And at the end of the episode, his father stands him up. Right. His father uh, says, look, something's come up. I'll just have to make it up to you. And he tries to play it cool and says, no, it's cool. It's fine. It's fine. After he leaves the room, Uncle Phil listens to Will as he just pours his heart out. I mean, his father broke a promise to him again. And you see the anger that he just pours out there. He wasn't there for me growing up. He wasn't there when I learned to shoot hoops or to date girls or to tie a tire to get a job. I don't need him. I will be a better man than him. And then you see he collapses in Uncle Phil's arms and says, why doesn't my father want me? Why doesn't he want me? You see, promises can reveal a great deal about someone's character. 
And when someone breaks a promise, it shows really where their heart is and reveals something about who we are, our identity, our hope, our purpose as well. But the good news is that God is a loving father who always backs his promises, always delivers on his promises. God is not a father like Will Smith's father in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. God is not flaky or fickle or selfish. God does not stand his children up. He does not retract a promise on his people, but rather he delivers fully in ways that can totally blow our minds. You see, the power of God's promise is that he reveals something of his character and his purpose, and he always makes good on those things. The writer of Hebrews is helping us connect the dots from the Old Testament into the New Testament, from the rich history of God's people into a more modern history stemming from Jewish culture into non-Jewish culture, which you and I, most of us, fit into, right? And he brings up the story of Abraham. Abraham, who hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, was made a promise from God when God said to him on numerous occasions in the book of Genesis, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. On numerous occasions, God reminds Abraham of this promise, this promise that is revealing something about God as a great father who loves his people. Not only does he love Abraham, but he wants to bless Abraham so that Abraham will bless other people. And then it says this great thing that uh, through him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that promise is made true in Jesus all the way to you and I today. Right, God fulfills his promise to Abraham in Jesus. And this probably, I would imagine, for a first century uh, Jewish person who's saying, I want to I follow Jesus, I want to see how the Old Testament scriptures of God is making these connections with this Jesus guy. So, so the author of Hebrews writes to this church saying, hey, look, here, here's where Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. You see, remember how God made a promise to Abraham? That, that he would be blessed and so he could be a blessing and that through him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, Jesus is fulfilling that here. God is making good on his promises through Jesus to you. Paul writes in Galatians three, fourteen. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That means those who aren't Jewish so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. You see, through his promise, God reveals that he is a loving father seeking to bless his children. And that's good news for me and you today, right? So first and foremost, as we look at the power of God's promises, we see that first he reveals his character and purpose, that God is revealing that he is a loving father and that he has the purpose to bless all the families on earth. Through Jesus. But secondly, the power of God's promise is that it informs our identity and security. A couple verses that touch on this. Verse 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, 
we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Skip down to verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. You see, the first century church was struggling finding its new identity. Finding its new identity as, as Christians. You see, they had uh, those who were finding their identity and security in their tradition and their uh, religious background and in the Jewish culture, which had been uh, pre- predominant in, uh, for God's people for centuries. Many of them were wanting to return back to that a religious tradition, and the author of Hebrews is saying, no, that, that was God's uh, purpose and plan for this time to point us to Jesus. That was good, but now we're using that as a springboard to follow Jesus. And here's how Jesus fulfills all of your expectations from the Old Testament. Therefore, since he's done that, let's move forward and progress in the faith. Let us uh, mature uh, in our faith together. So there were those in the first century church finding their identity and security, not in Christ, but their identity and security in their heritage, in their tradition, in their uh, religion, all that are good things. They are such good things, but they were finding their identity and security there rather than seeing that they were signs to point us to Jesus. And so you and I today also struggle with misplaced identity and misplaced hope because like the first century church, we may find our identity and security in our tradition or the family that we are a part of or uh, the heritage from which we come or the religious or moral values that we uh, seek to to hold to. We can find our identity and security in our politics or our money or jobs, our social standing, our community status. And what happens is we use those things to kind of We pattern our life after those things. Wherever you find your identity and security is how you pattern your life, right? I mean, if you think, I find my identity and security in my good moral stand, and you will do whatever it takes to keep your morals on point, right? If you say, I find my identity and security in in, uh, the job that I have, you will will do whatever it takes. Uh, You know, you should work hard, right? Money is good. It's a blessing from God so you can provide for your family and, and serve those who need. It's great. But if it comes a point where you find your identity and security in that, uh, it, can, it can wreck uh, who you are at your core. Think about it this way. What is the thing in your life that takes up, I mean, open your calendar, open your checkbook, and look and see what is it that takes up the most of your time and the most of your money, and think about what would happen if that was taken from you. And that's how you know if you have misplaced identity and hope. Because if you put all of your money, uh, if you put all of your identity in your money and your money disappears, then all of a sudden you feel insecure and, and you don't know who you are anymore. Or if you put all of your identity and security in your job and all of a sudden you lose your job and you have to get another job, uh, you might panic and say, I don't even know who I am anymore. If you put all your identity and security in a relationship and that relationship breaks and severs, you don't know what to do. But see, here's the good news of the gospel, is that the promises of God inform our identity and security. 
You see, the promises of God reveal something of his character and purpose. His character is a loving, gracious father and his purpose to bless all the families of the earth through Jesus. But his promises also inform us of our identity and security, both for now and for eternity. Right. In Christ, we have a new identity in Christ. We have eternal security, but also security here and now. Look at what scripture says. I love verse 9. There's so much in verse 9. It, it changes everything. If you were here last week, uh, we wrestled through a couple verses at the beginning of chapter 6, and we're thinking, wow, uh, this is kind of, kind of scary, right, to, to say what happens if, if our faith wavers a little bit. Do we just lose it all? Well, here's some good news. We have to connect the dots, the first eight verses into the next set of verses with verse 9. Though we speak to you in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Friends, there is so much good stuff in that statement. Beloved. Beloved. The author of Scripture here is, is calling God's people beloved. Beloved is such a powerful word, we can gloss over it. But it packs such a punch at its core, it means loved ones or even better, those who were loved by God. That's a powerful identity. Loved by God. The God of the universe loves you. The God who took nothing and made everything loves you. The God who can uh, take cosmic things and move them around as he sees fit. The God who can take sand and make a human. The God that can flood the earth if he so chooses loves you. You are loved by God. And his love is not based on your performance. It's not based on how, uh, you, how tight your morals are or how smart you may be or, or how well you act. He loves you because of who he is, and he made you. And in Christ, he has redeemed you and is growing you and shaping you. He's molding you to be more like Jesus, and that's good news. And at the end of the day, his love for you is not based on you. It's based on him, and his promises reveal that to us as part of his character and his purpose is to love you. And this informs our identity as his children and our security to know that you are loved by God. Scripture also tells us that since God wants to bless the families of the earth through Abraham and Jesus is fulfilling that promise to be a blessing to all the families that we are in turn part of the heirs of promise, that, that we receive the benefits of, of being in this new identity, that we, uh, like Abraham, who is an heir of promise and uh, these pillars of the faith throughout the Bible that you see, uh, we're all imperfect people. I mean, I love them reading the children, Jesus storybook Bible with my children. And like the first page, it says, if you think the Bible is about a, you know, a book of heroes, it's, it's not. Uh, because every quote unquote hero of the faith blows it. And it's like Jesus's family tree is all kind of messed up. I mean, see, Jesus's family tree has, you know, prostitutes and adulterers and murderers and just fickle, foolish people. By God's grace, he leads us to the one perfect man, Jesus. The Bible is about one hero. It's Jesus. 
And in him we are loved by God, receiving the promises, because our new identity is not that of wayward children, but those who have been brought into God's kingdom, that we are princes and princesses who get to tap into God's uh, eternal treasures forevermore. Scripture tells us, we speak to you in verse 9, we speak to you in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation goes on to tell us we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Our salvation is secure. Our identity is secure. God made us. He rescues us. He makes good on his promises that he will not abandon his people, that he wants to bless his people, that he wants to take care for his children. And anytime we sin, we forget that. If you have children, you know that you want more than anything for your kids to be happy. And sometimes you have to put little parameters to keep them safe and to keep them happy, even if they don't understand and they think, how could my dad not want me to be happy? And you know, anytime a kid disobeys you, it's because in their heart, they don't trust that you are looking out for their best interest, that you are looking out to care for them and to bring them as much joy as you can. This happens all the time, right? If you have kids, you know, you can say, hey, uh, don't go out in the street. Kid says, well, I know I'm not supposed to go out in the street, but mom doesn't know that my ball just went rolling into the neighbor's yard. So, I mean, she doesn't understand. I got to go get my ball. This happened this weekend. I was like, kids, did you really just disobey me? And we live on a, on a little loop, but this loop is filled with teenagers that think the speed limit's 90, you know. It's little lakeside kids with their pop collars, you know. Sorry. I'm sorry. I love my neighbors. I really do. My neighbors, this is a total aside, but my neighbors next to me, I thought it was so funny yesterday, my neighbor like welded these little cannons. They look like Revolutionary War artillery cannons, and they were setting up fruit in the backyard, in their backyard, and they were blowing up melons. It's like, yes. The suburbs, yeah, time to move. Uh, but you see, We are like children in the same way. When God says, look, I want to instruct you. I want to lead you to your safety and your joy. I want you to be secure and happy forever. Just listen to me. And sometimes we say, I don't trust you, God. I don't know if you're going to make good on your promise to bless me. I don't know if you're going to make good on your promise to keep me secure, both for eternity, but here and now. And that's when we waver in the faith. We say, I'm going to take matters into my own hands because God doesn't really get it. But at the end of the day, If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we know that our identity and security is in Christ because in Christ, God makes good on his promises and that in Jesus, God reveals his character and his purpose. And that's such good news. But all of this leads uh, to this, as Paul writes in Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So friends, as we pause and think about God's promises and see that this in his promises, God reveals something of his character and his purpose. And then in God's promises uh, in Christ, he reveals something and forms our identity and security. This has to play out in our lives here and now. 
Because God's purpose for us is not only to give us a new identity and to just take us to uh, heaven to be with him forever, although we have an eternal promise that we will be with God and each other forever. That's awesome. But he has a purpose for us here and now. And if this good news does not shape how you live here and now, I don't think you get the good news. I mean, if you think, yeah, I'm, I'm secure in Jesus, which means I can just live however I want, then I don't think you get the gospel. And this passage in Hebrews speaks to this a little bit. Right, verse 18 says, So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. See, the promises of God fuels our faith and our hope. Right, fuels our faith and hope. Because we know that we have a future inheritance because of God's promise. We know that we are heirs of promise, that we are beloved, that we have greater things before us in our secure salvation. And that since God is revealing that he is a loving, gracious father, and his purpose is to take us from here into eternity, we have to enjoy the journey, so to speak, and live lives uh, that honor him and obey him. But that is prompted not by fear, not by pride, but by hope in the promises of God. Hope not being circumstantial, hope not being material, but hope being in a person, Jesus. Scripture says, hold fast the hope. Right, and this plays out in different ways. If you rewind a bit to verse 10, it says, For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. Work, love, service, these are good things. Work, love, and service in the gospel is prompted by hope. Not by fear, not by guilt, not by shame, not by obligation, but hope. We love each other because we have hope together in Christ. We serve each other because we have hope together in Christ. We work to serve others, whether you are a Christian or not. We work to serve non-Christians. We work to serve Christians. We work to serve any person in the hope that we have in Christ, right? And this is where the gospel can be like surgery. Because it's really easy for us to do things out of obligation, Or it's really easy for us to do good works of service out of guilt or fear. Fear, I mean, honestly, I've had to wrestle with this in ministry. I wrestle with it all the time. To say, you know what? Uh, There's an opportunity for me to serve, but I'm going to have to say no to the good thing in order to say yes, yes to the best. And I'll just be blunt with you guys. Nobody in this room has made me feel this way, just so you know. But I just want to be honest, a little transparent pastor to let you know that God's chopping my heart up too. But over the course of the the past few days, this week, there were multiple opportunities to serve uh, through through this church community, to serve uh, those in need downtown, to serve families and friends in our midst, to, to serve people in my neighborhood that needed to be served. And I sat down with my calendar and, and, and There was like five opportunities that all conflicted with each other. 
Right? There are people in my neighborhood that I wanted, not the guy with the cannons, you know, but there's some other people in, in our neighborhood that I'm wanting to, to get to know, right? Uh, they have different faith than me, so it's a great opportunity to kind of build a bridge into a family. So there's this family that my wife and I are getting to know and our children are getting to play together. And we're like, this is fun. I just sit down and say, which is, which is the better thing to do? I mean, I could go do this over here. I could do this over here. There's some uh, dear friends over here that I could help with. But then there's this thing over here, and I don't know which to do. And I get so conflicted like that because I think, what is prompting me to serve? Am I going to uh, say no to this opportunity and say yes to this because I'm afraid of what others will think of me? Bad pastor didn't help something, something. It's a real thought of mine. It's a real fear. Nobody in this room has ever made me feel that way. But there are people in my past who have judged my Christian track record by if I serve here or do that or do not. Hard for me. And so when I looked at my calendar and I said, well, I have to say no to this good thing in order to say yes to this other good thing, I had to pray, take a step back, talk with my wife and say, I want to be sure that I'm not having fear or guilt prompt any decision right now. But I want this decision to be prompted by faith and hope. Now, maybe you're thinking, good grief, Jeremy. Decisions are that hard for you? (laughs) Yes. Some of them are. Some of them are that hard for me. And I have to determine which uh, decision. I mean, it's just, I don't know. So I want to encourage you when you sit back or when you, when you have to uh, make a decision of, of what kind of work to do, what kind of service to do, what kind of tangible action to show love to somebody, and all of a sudden you have opportunities galore. I mean, we always have opportunities here to serve. Now, if your decision is prompted by selfishness and laziness, well, we might need to talk. But if it's prompted by guilt or pride or fear, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that our decisions to work and love and serve others are fueled by faith and hope. It's a joyful thing. Now, any of the decisions over the course of the weekend to serve would have been joyful opportunities. I just had to pick one, so I did. And... There you go. So I'll just encourage you to do the same thing. Here at Redemption Church in-house, we have opportunities to work, love, and serve each other through missional communities, through redemption kids, through friendships and hanging out. We have opportunities to serve uh, with great, to partner with other awesome things going on in the community like Turn Back the Block or the Augusta Rescue Mission. Or you can partner with other things like uh, the Y, four-year-old soccer league, just volunteered to be an assistant coach, this might get a little ugly. I'm not that competitive. I'm very, very clumsy. And there's nothing more embarrassing for a four-year-old boy than to watch this lanky 36-year-old dad collapse and just trip over himself on the field. But, you know, that's an opportunity to work, love, and serve not only my son and his peers, but the other coaches and parents. So that's a little aside caveat. I'll invite you to the games because it's going to be legit. You ever seen a little four-year-olds kick a ball? It's hilarious. Got a little off track here. I'm sorry. So the promises of God reveal something of his character, reveal something of his purpose. The promises of God inform our identity and security, and the promises of God fuel our faith and hope. As scripture tells us here, that we work, love, and serve one another in light of the promises of God, that we are fueled by faith and hope in Christ, and that's why we love and work and serve one another. 
But also, faith and patience are mentioned in verse 11. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Right. Oswald Chambers said, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. And so last week we talked about having a progressive faith, meaning our not that our the, the object of our faith is wavering. I mean, we know our object of our faith, Jesus, is solid, a sure and steadfast anchor, as Scripture tells us, but how we ongoingly trust him is growing. We are growing toward maturity. Our faith is progressing to be uh, stronger and more like Christ, and that is done by following the one who is leading, even though we may not understand how or where we are being led. Along the way, God will reveal more of himself and we understand more about his identity and our identity and how we are to live. So in closing, I want to challenge you with a couple things. The book of Hebrews is hard. It is tough. And what I want to encourage you to do is read the whole book from beginning to end. And if you have a Bible that has nice little footnotes of all the citations into the Old Testament, go read those citations. Not, I mean, it will have a quote. But then go read the whole context of that quote. Because a first century person reading this, like when you know, it mentions Abraham, the promise God made to Abraham, they wouldn't just think about one sentence. They would think about the whole story of Abraham, which is several chapters in Genesis. I would encourage you to read that. We provide questions for reflection and discussion at the bottom of the bulletin. This is not the end-all, be-all of gospel teaching, but this is meant to kind of pry open your heart and bring some application of the gospel to your life. Very helpful for me as well in our missional community when we have discussions. Um, It's awesome. And so I want to encourage you all with this. If you were here today and you were not a Christian, you're not a believer, I want you to consider where you put your hope and trust. And how that patterns your life. Where do you find your identity and security? And I would invite you uh, to consider the gospel of Jesus. I would invite you to consider the gospel of Jesus. To know that in Christ uh, you are a child of God. Receiving uh, the love and grace from a father who will never turn his back on you. Never break his promise toward you. And how that shapes your life is your life decisions are no longer patterned uh, from guilt, shame, fear, or pride, or obligation, but rather patterned and, and fueled with faith and hope because of who God is and what he's doing for you. If you are here and you are a Christian, I would encourage you likewise to repent of sin and idols because all of us can say, my hope is secure in Christ, but if I don't get this job, life is over. Or or my faith is secure in Christ, but so-and-so just broke up with me, and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. So if you are a Christian, I encourage you to practice ongoing repentance and ongoing trust in Christ, that we would turn from uh, the things that steal our affection from God and steal our attention from God's purpose and turn to him and trust in his promises, because in his promises, he reveals his character and purpose. In his promises, he informs our identity and security. And in his promises, our life is, is fueled by faith and hope in him. And I'll close with uh, the lyrics from a song from 1902 that says this, I can fell the anchor fast as I meet each sudden blast, and the cable, though unseen, bears the heavenly strain between. Through the storm I safely ride, 
till the turning of the tide, and it holds. My anchor holds. Blow your wildest then, O gale, on my bark so small and frail. By his grace I shall not fail, for my anchor holds. My anchor holds. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning, a few minutes to gather with friends and to open your word for us. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring to mind the, uh, the things that are barriers in our faith. God, the things that prompt our lives uh, with fear and guilt and shame. God, maybe it's our past, maybe it's the struggles of our present, maybe it's our traditions or upbringing. But God, I pray that you would, you would lay us bare uh, like patience on the table before a surgeon that you would open us up humbly, and God, that you would care for us and piece us back together. God, that you would expose the brokenness in our lives, but help us see you with great hope and great trust, knowing that you are a loving Father who cares for your children. And God, I pray that that good news would give us a sense of identity personally, a sense of identity in our families, a sense of identity in uh, this church and in the community. And God, that this would give us a sense of security for eternity, but also for how we live here and now, knowing that our uh, performance, though it may be good at times, though it may may be fickle at times, God, that our performance uh, would not be the standard by which we feel we measure up to you, but God, that that we would know how we live as prompted by the hope and faith you give us in Jesus. God, I pray that we would experience great grace, great humility, great wisdom, great confidence, great energy at this season of our lives. God, that you would continue to show us more of who you are and what you're about, your, your identity, your character, your purpose. God, that as we open the Bible, you would give us understanding to see more of who you are and what you're about. God, that as we gather in friendships and share stories of what's going on in our lives, how we're learning and growing, God, our failures as well as our triumphs, that in those uh, situations and relationships, you would be showing who you are and what you're about. God, in all things, I pray that, uh, that you would be honored and glorified with our lives. God, I pray that in all things you would allow us to experience great joy in the gospel. And God, that this good news of Jesus would ripple through our lives and to our families and neighborhoods, to the city, through this church, God, to the nations. For your glory and our joy, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.